Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. I know I may say this every week, but I am really excited about today's episode because the question of endocrine disruptors is a big thing in the realm of hormone health. We know that there are these chemicals and these additives in our environment, in our beauty care products, and in our cleaning products that can cause hormone issues in the long term. I knew this, and yet I wished that I had an expert that I could really ask all of my burning questions to. And of course, one day I was on Instagram and I came across Dr. Yvonne Burkhart's Instagram account. Dr. Yvonne is a board certified PhD toxicologist, a chemical and ingredient safety expert, and a mom of two girls on a mission to help women slash their toxic exposure and live low tox lives with ease. As you'll see in this episode, Yvonne is such a wealth of knowledge and she really does such a good job of breaking it all down into bite-sized pieces because I don't know about all of you, but I feel pretty confident reading a food label. I can definitely figure out, you know, the sneaky ways they try to sneak in uh, yeast or MSG or something like that and the different words they may use. But when it comes to an ingredient label of makeup or lotion or a cleaning product, it's a lot trickier because not only are the ingredients very different, but they're big, long things that you can't even begin to pronounce. In this episode, we talk about a lot, but she breaks down what an endocrine disruptor really is and where we're exposed to them. She also talks about how they can create health problems for us in the long term. And then we go into a lot more specific things like ingredients. How do we know when an ingredient is good or bad? Um, Are there simple upgrades we can all make to lower our exposure to some toxins that are definitely very concerning and very problematic? We even touch on things like makeup because I think that's a big question a lot of us have. As she shares in the episode, women tend to experience more endocrine disruptors, but maybe only because our exposure is more in that we're typically using all the fancy lotions and the shaving creams and the makeup and all of that fun stuff. This episode today is sponsored by Horology, my favorite brand of period panties that are non-toxic and made from trees. As you can imagine, as the menstruation queen, I have been lucky to try many different brands of period panties over the years, and Horology truly is my absolute favorite for comfort and leak protection. I literally live in the cloud bikini during my period because it is so light, it is so soft, the fabric is like butter, and it just makes my menstrual experience so much more enjoyable. You can get started with Horology's period panties by going to horology.com and using code Cassandra to give it a try. I can assure you they will be one of the best things you've ever purchased and really revamp your menstrual cycle experience. All right, I know you're excited for today's episode, so here we go. Here is Dr. Yvonne. Hi, Dr. Yvonne. I am so, so excited to talk to you today. I've truly searched the internet high and low looking for an expert in toxicology. Uh, to talk about endocrine disruptors with, and who better to chat with than a brilliant PhD of toxicology like yourself. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Ah, this is going to be so good. Um, What made you decide to study toxicology? Like, was that something you were always interested in? Or how did you end up doing, you know, a complete PhD in that? 
I actually stumbled upon toxicology. So I was in undergrad in biological sciences, and one of the requirements was to do research as part of our degree. But I was actually looking for a summer job on campus, and I saw that there was a woman professor who was looking for someone to help wash dishes in the lab. So I thought, oh, well, maybe that could be my kind of, (laughs) you know, (laughs) dipping my toe in and seeing what it's like to work in a lab. So that's literally how I found toxicology. I'd never heard about it before, and it was serendipity. Wow. So I I ended (laughs) Exactly. So I ended up washing dishes and just kind of, you know, checking things out. And after a while, I just got super curious and interested in what she was working on. So I asked if I could join as a student, a research student. And so Mm -hmm. I was so lucky that she accepted me. And then that kind of turned into, well, I finished undergrad. Now what do I do? And Mm -hmm. she actually offered me a spot in her lab as a, a graduate student. And so I was like, oh, in between grad student and uh, med school and grad school. It's like, uh, I can't really decide, but I think I like research more. So I decided to join as a master's student. And then over time, I switched over to PhD. So long story short, I found it by accident and just became totally obsessed. (laughs) That's the best story. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really curious, like for reference, sometimes I chat with experts who were you know, in different fields and they were doing all this work, but never really taught the side effects of what they were doing. So like I had an engineer come on the podcast who um, installed cell phone towers for 25 years. And he said, never did anyone talk about the potential health concerns of it, which is like insane. Is it different in toxicology? Like, are you very well aware of, I guess, the products and like how they're used in mainstream products and the concern of that? Actually not. So you brought up a really good point because the frame of reference that we have, at least I had, going through grad school was things that were toxic were carcinogens, like really toxic. Mm -hmm. But we weren't taught about everyday products, not at all. And in fact, Mm -hmm. the inside toxicology textbooks, there's like maybe one or two paragraphs about cosmetics. Like it's, It's pretty much not really even covered at all. And so when I was going through my health crisis, I had to learn all of this on my own. That's insane. I literally just don't even have words. (laughs) There are very few textbooks out there at all. And the one that I was able to find recently, I had to order from the UK. So that's how little information there is about cosmetic safety and toxicity. Wow. So it really is like a common theme. Like you can be these world-class experts and experts in like the theory of it, but then there's no applicability to like real, you know, life examples. Right. It's usually 10 to 20 years after effects are seen in people that they then go back and say, oh, maybe we should look at some of the products and try to connect the dots between what they were exposed to and the symptoms that they're showing and diseases. It's, it's actually really shocking. Yeah, I'm literally, I, I guess I really assumed that you were going to be like, oh, no, we, we like we know all this. We're super involved in like product safety. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know what to expect, I guess. It's actually sort of the way that I went through it was once I joined the flavor and fragrance company, I learned on the job. So we didn't really learn it in school. We learned the fundamentals and the basics about toxicology, but you really learn on the job. And that's a lot of how it is for ma- like most industries, like pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. cosmetics, you know, petrochemicals, um, pesticides, agrochem. It's, it's kind of like that. 
from what mm-hmm. I gather, just, be, you know, talking to other people. But my personal experience just was learned on the job. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. So before we start going into, you know, what endocrine disruptors and all this is, what made you decide to specialize more in what you do now, where you're really empowering, you know, consumers to understand what these funky ingredients and chemicals even are? Thank you for asking this question, because this is something that has been uh, probably a decades long journey of how I got here. So I was a PhD, I worked in the industry, chemical industry, and then I personally actually had issues with endocrine disruption. I didn't realize it, but looking back throughout my entire life history, I realized it's so clear now that I was a victim of endocrine disruption since I was a child. But it basically culminated once I was working this job, the stress was basically the straw that broke the camel's back and led to me having infertility, miscarriage. Basically my health was completely wrecked at that point. And I had to rebuild. And all of the doctors that I went to, they couldn't tell me what was wrong with me. They told me I was normal and just continue doing what you're doing. But my intuition told me this is completely not okay. Mm -hmm. You have to change. You have to change. What you're doing is not working. So I was 100% into conventional products, living a very mainstream conventional life because I didn't know any better. And it wasn't until I was faced with all of these health issues that I took a a close, hard look at how I was living. And then I went to the more naturopathic, holistic route. And that's when I actually saw relief. Mm. It it wasn't instant. It's still an ongoing journey. And that's something I also want to emphasize is you're not going to heal your body overnight. It takes time. And that's okay. So Really, it's really important to, you know, stay calm and just know that that you that you can do it. So that's pretty much how I ended up here. I had to figure out how to overcome all of these health issues. And I started with food, with my overall lifestyle, and of course, with the products that I was using. Mm-hmm. Such a common thread between all of us, I think, in, in especially natural medicine is we're all like, we had to specialize in this for our own sake. Because no one, nobody was talking about this and no one had answers and we had to become the expert. That's right. And so one of the things that I noticed initially when I was making the switch to a more organic and holistic lifestyle was that the information on the internet regarding ingredients and regarding products was all over the place. It was totally inconsistent. But thanks to my background in toxicology, I was able to make sense of it and pull out the accurate bits and confirm it with, you know, more research into the scientific literature and look at studies and Mm -hmm. see what have people actually done to show, okay, which ingredients are actually endocrine disruptors, because that was one of the main focuses that I had because my, my cycles were crazy all over the place that actually went for about six months, if not more without a cycle. Wow. So I had to look into as many of the environmental chemicals that I could find that were possibly affecting me so I could remove them from my life. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. I'm so glad you came onto this journey and how like your previous life, you know, getting a PhD in toxicology, like came back up as like a, a key piece of the puzzle for you to now help other people decipher all of these ingredients that no one can even pronounce. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of ironic because I studied reproductive toxicology specifically. So we looked at 
cancer, ovarian cancer, testicular cancer, infertility, endocrine disruption. It's so crazy how it came full circle. Oh my gosh, this is so nuts. I'm so glad I'm talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, so let's just take like the first layer here. What technically is an endocrine disruptor? So endocrine disruption is a major issue that it affects not only reproductive, but also thyroid, adrenals, and metabolism, basically chemicals that disrupt our body's natural hormone systems. Mm-hmm. And so how do they influence women specifically? Like, is there any literature that shows women are more likely to suffer from endocrine disruptors? I wouldn't say that women are more prone or sensitive because endocrine disruption occurs in both males and females. It's just mm -hmm. that women tend to use more products than men. Okay. And so therefore our endocrine disruption exposure or load tends to be higher than men for that reason. Okay. Interesting. Um, are there specific ways in which an endocrine disruptor can really create big issues? Like you were saying, infertility or maybe a, a severe thyroid disorder. Like how do they mo like molecularly influence the system to be that damaging? So they can affect either how the hormone is interacting with our own cells. They can basically mimic estrogen, testosterone, thyroid hormone that causes an imbalance. So then we end up with excess of those hormones, especially the testosterone and estrogen. Those two tend to be the ones that are seen more frequently in couples that are actually infertile. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. So I think the big question people have is, so we know certain things are endocrine disruptors, but they're still put in our products. Like how do companies get away with putting these ingredients in where the scientific literature is saying like there's maybe some cause for concern? There are actually very few regulations on cosmetic and cleaning product ingredients. So with cosmetics, there are only a few that are actually banned by the United States FDA compared to Europe, which has significantly more, but there's still a great deal that they could do to cut out even more from, from our product streams. So in the US, the FDA only requires pre-market testing for colorants and pigments and dyes. That's Every right. other ingredient is used at the discretion of the company. No. <laughs> yeah, so there's this cosmetic ingredient review board that is basically a panel that is put together by the cosmetics industry itself to test and look at ingredients before they are used, sometimes not before they're used, but it, there is no real timeline. So they can be tested before or after they've already been used. But generally speaking, the CIR or cosmetic ingredient review board is the one that kind of sets the standard. So they'll say, okay, this dose was seen to be safe in animals. So you should use a dose less than that for human products. But the last time I checked, uh, people are not rats. <laughs> so it kind of doesn't really necessarily make sense to set mm -hmm. dosages based on animal data. But you can't test on people. So where does that lead us? Right. Well, companies just tend to, right now, at least in mainstream products, are using the most cheap, 
generally petroleum-derived synthetics. They're not all bad. They're not all toxic. That's not what I'm saying. But the quality is where it's at. The quality is where it makes a huge difference. So if you're looking at a synthetic petroleum-derived, very chemical uh, synthetic ingredient versus a more wholesome plant-based organic ingredient, you can kind of see where I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. Yeah. I am kind of angry just hearing the like, <laughs> It's such BS, you know, like the lack of red tape to really protect consumers. It just, I don't know, like they say in so many things, I guess, like follow the money. Yeah, unfortunately, that is the case because it's even seen like, for example, when an indie brand comes out, they're organic, you know, very plant-based, natural, wholesome, you know, very low tox. Because that's that's another thing I want to mention. There's no such thing as no tox. But low tox, right? You just want to minimize the toxicity because everything can be toxic. That's a whole other thing, I guess. But what I'm trying to get at is there are indie brands that come out and they start out being really awesome and the kind of products that I look for that I want to use. And then they get bought out by a bigger company. And then they start substituting for, you know, lower quality ingredients. They start adding in synthetic fragrances. They start, you know, kind of switching things out. And unless you're really paying attention and reading every single ingredient label, you might miss that. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it happens all the time. I think it's insane, you know, when you look at the images online where it shows the like mother company, like Clorox or whatever, and then the like million little tiny, like all natural organic brands owned by it. And it just tells you everything. Exactly. It's, it's really... Yeah, it's on the it's the responsibility of the consumer to pay attention to what we're buying, to know what we're buying, to be educated about it because the government is not doing anything for us and the companies have their own interests. Mhm. Exactly. So I'm sure a lot of people when you talk to them, they initially are a little overwhelmed because there's all these weird ingredients none of us can pronounce. Some of them, like you've done polls on your stories on Instagram where you're like, which of these chemicals that I can't even pronounce is the bad one? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. This one looks bad. And I'm always wrong. So clearly, I don't know how to differentiate the real nitty gritties of this. How do you break it down into bite-sized pieces for people? Do you teach just like the big ones to avoid or how do you make it usable? So that's a really good point that you bring up because there are tens of thousands of chemicals out there that are actually used or at least registered with the EPA, not necessarily used. But let's just say there's about tens of thousands of them. How do you wrap your head around it? Well, if you look at a chemical name, that actually will tell you how toxic it is just based on the chemical name because then Hmm. the chemical name tells you about the chemical structure. Okay, well, that all sounds pretty abstract, right? So the way that I break it down for my students is part one, you need to know which ones are the worst toxic ingredients that you can avoid because you're not going to be able to avoid every single one. It's not possible. Then second, you have to know which are the healthy ingredients or low-tox ingredients that sound like chemical names but actually are okay. And then once you put them all together, then you can kind of see when you look at a label holistically, what's the ratio? Are there more of the toxic ones or are there more of the healthier ones? Do you see what I'm saying? So you don't necessarily need to be 100% perfect and say, oh, well, there's one toxic ingredient in this product. I can't use it because you're not going to. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, you took like much of the overwhelm away just by saying that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> simple. It's really simple, actually, when you think about it, because there is no way to avoid all the toxic chemicals. You just can't. But there are a lot of products that do align with being low tox. So they don't have, you know, things like endocrine disruptors, heavy metals, uh, PFAS, which are um, big time endocrine disruptors, like the same kind of, you know, Teflon chemicals they're used. They're actually being found and detected a lot in cosmetics nowadays. Hmm. Not that they're being intentionally added, but it's more likely than not coming through the equipment that is being used to manufacture. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like there's always going to be something new that comes out like, uh oh, now PFAS are being found in, you know, these organic products. Well, you, again, you can't control everything and just do your best. That's really my best advice is just try your best. Don't have to be perfect. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. If you end up using a conventional product, it doesn't, you're not going to kill yourself. You're not going to die from it. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us get so black and white, which like, yeah. I'm laughing because I'm like, I've been that person. Like, oh, yeah. I can't touch that. Like, yeah. like when I go to the car wash, they give me the little like wipes for the dash. And I'm like, ew, I don't want to touch this. <laughs> I mean, once or twice, I mean, even a couple times, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to really move the needle. Right. But if mm -hmm. it's these long lasting, small exposures over a lifetime, that's right. really um, the emphasis here. It's, it's called chronic toxicity. It's the, it's the things that you're using every day for months and years. Yeah, exactly. Then it all adds up one day. Yeah, it's not the one-off thing because, you know, if you're traveling or, you know, whatever reason, you can't have your favorite, you know, hand soap. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You'll yeah. be fine. Just reminder. do your best. <laughs> yes, do your best. Could you give us like a small example of, you know, when you were saying when you can learn how to read an ingredient to understand how toxic it is, like, can you just make that a little more usable, like a tiny example of what that looks like? Yeah. So for example, when you look at an ingredient label and you see the word glycol, these are very, very commonly used solvents in, in almost like every single mainstream product. You see the word glycol, but there's also a word before it. The word before it will just tell you the molecular size, like how many carbons are in the chain. That's to get really geeky on you for a second. But if, <laughs> when you see that word glycol and you'll see it over and over and over and over again, that's one that I, that I teach people to avoid. So that's so just an example. You can look at the ending of the word and you'll start to connect the dots and you'll, oh, I've seen that before. Hmm. And then you'll see it again. And you're like, I remember that one. And then over time, it starts to, you know, you build up that database in your brain and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That's that's not a good one. I'm going to just kind of put that on the back burner and I'll remember that for next time. Don't freak out. That's that's the number one thing is don't freak out, because I know a lot of the chemical names can seem really intimidating, especially if you are you don't have any type of background in chemistry or science. You could definitely get there because I've actually worked with students from all backgrounds and anyone can learn how to read an ingredient label. That's the best part about my job is literally anyone can learn it. It's amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah. And everyone needs this. And so when you said glycol, like the, of course, the one thing that came to mind that I do notice is propylene glycol. So it, like, isn't that an example of not as bad as it sounds or definitely avoid? 
Uh, well, as time goes on, when... Okay, because let's go back. Because the government doesn't require pre-market testing before a product hits store shelves, it's usually the case that people start using it. And because all of the ingredients, some of the ingredients were tested on animals, it's they're not going to have the same effect in people or people could have a reaction when the animals didn't. So that's the case with propylene glycol. It's now been used in consumer products for decades. And so now there's huge amounts of data to show that it's actually a very potent allergen. Mm. Whereas it wasn't known that it was going to cause that effect when they first put it out. Wow. Yeah, so it's yeah, I know. Your mind's probably blown because you see it in almost every product out there. Yeah, all the time. Exactly. And so the more frequently you use it, the more often, you know, the how many products you're using that contain that ingredient, if you're using five, you know, those will all add up. And your body doesn't forget. So like your skin has immune has an immune response, right? That's what allergies are. It's like you just keep putting that propylene glycol on there. That's just, I'm not going to villainize that one alone because there's so many allergens, but let's just use that one as an example, since that's what we're talking about. You keep putting that on, on your skin over and over every single day, multiple times a day. Just think about the irritation, the redness that comes. If you feel any kind of like itchiness, tightness, dryness, that's an adverse effect. That's considered a toxic response. Because that's not normal, right? Your skin normally doesn't hurt and it shouldn't hurt. Mm. So if you're using products that are causing that, like that's kind of something to be aware of. Keep keep in mind, you know, if you're starting to feel like, oh, my skin is more sensitive than it used to be. You know, you definitely want to look at the products that you're using. But of course, overall, holistic from inside and out. Yeah. And you, you brought up such a good point where sometimes our body will tell us and it's just whether or not we register it and listen to our body because often it is giving us some sort of a little symptom of like we don't like this (laughs) please stop yeah huge that's so huge that you brought that up because I was using these conventional makeup removing wipes for years and years and I love them they work so great until one day I started to notice my eyes feel kind of like irritated kind of kind of red and then it started to build and the next time I used it it got worse and the next time I used it it got worse and so your body is really mm-hmm. telling you like, hey, please stop. This is terrible. Exactly. Exactly. What do you say to people who, I'm just going to lovingly call them the negative Nancys, um, who are like, if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't put it in our products. Or I've used this stuff my whole life and I am fine. Where do you even start with people that maybe really are apprehensive to really see any weight in what you're saying? You know, to be honest, I've definitely encountered these people in my daily life, even some of my family members. And that's okay. If they are if they are not in tune with their body and they're not paying attention to these little signs and symptoms, then that's that's really I really respect that. I allow them to have their opinion. But if it's someone that's coming and saying, "Hey, I I'm noticing, you know, that I have this reaction when I use this or I don't feel good." When Mm -hmm. I'm around a lot of fragrances, you know, well, that person's already becoming more Mm self-aware, right? So yes, they can have their own opinion. They can be negative Nancy's. That's totally fine. Like it's really whether or not somebody is self-aware and wanting to take action because I would challenge those negative Nancy's and ask them, 
are you really fine? Or yeah. are you just brushing things under the rug? Because I brushed things under the rug for many, many years until it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. I literally could not function at my job. It was affecting mm-hmm. my ability to work. That was affecting my livelihood. So I had to stop and listen. But I could have listened 20 years before that. Yeah. You know, so it's it's really about being self-aware. Yeah, such a good point. Like when, <laughs> when someone's ready, they're ready. And until they are, like you could beat them over the head with it. And they're like, no. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's such a great answer. Um, I definitely wanted to ask you about greenwashing. I know we kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago, but the, you know, essentially what is that? And then if there is a brand you're comfortable throwing out, that's kind of an example where maybe they once were really good and now they're bought out, or maybe their marketing is just really stellar and they act like they're super green when really they're the same as every other product. I love that you brought this up because greenwashing is a huge issue because of the lack of regulations in the con- in our country. Greenwashing is basically when a company uses marketing to make you think that their product is healthier or more eco-friendly than it actually is. So what I see most often in personal care and cosmetics are that companies are using marketing to make you think that this is a more natural, a healthier, safer, less toxic product, when in fact the ingredients do not match with all of the marketing. Mm. So it's basically deceptive. And so one of the brands that I can definitely call out is one that used to be like these startup kind of indie brands making really, you know, healthier products that then later got bought out by a big major corporation and is now greenwashed. And that is Native. Mm. Native is in big box stores. You can find it almost anywhere. And people are really shocked when I say that this is a greenwashed brand. And I think of them for deodorant. Do they make other things? Yeah, I've seen body wash. I think I've seen shampoo and conditioner, maybe even lotion. So they make, they make, you know, a good number of personal care products, but they are known for their deodorant. The Mm -hmm. problem with the deodorant is if you're not looking at the ingredient label, you might miss the fact that it has fragrance in there. Ah. So they kind of snuck fragrance in there. And so not all fragrances are horrific. Like I think a lot of people in, you know, the low-tox sort of holistic space. Yes, I I across the board just have the recommendation to avoid fragrances just because you don't know the composition of them. Mm-hmm. Because more often than not, they do contain phthalates. So, of course, if you're putting endocrine disruptors directly, you know, near your breast tissue and your underarms, that's really not ideal, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm really calling that one out is because people don't realize that they put fragrance in there. Wow. So yeah, the more holistic people, they pick up native and they're like, sweet, I love this brand. And that's where it's kind of, um, it's worse, right? Because when we learn to trust a brand, we can get that blind trust in them and we stop checking the label. And I'm sure I've done that many times. Oh my gosh. This is such a huge point too, because you can't, I don't, I always teach my students to not be brand loyal because Mm -hmm. even some of the most pure brands out there, can have amazing products on one hand, and then there's still some greenwashed products in wow. the same in the same offering. So you really have to be able to read the ingredient labels so that you can weed out the greenwashed products. 
Mm-hmm. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah, because that was one thing I was going to ask you in a second, because I think makeup is a big thing for women. We all typically like to have a little something um, on our face. And sometimes I feel overwhelmed. I mean, I've been using the brand Ilia, but sometimes I feel skeptical. I don't really know. But I was going to ask if there's a makeup brand that you find most of the time is fairly good. Yes, actually, my favorite brand of makeup is 100% pure. Hmm. And the reason that I like them so much is that they, at least the products that I have personally selected, hand selected, they use fruit and food based pigment instead of metal pigment. Because the Hmm. risk that comes with metal pigment is that they're mined from the earth or they can be made synthetically. But nonetheless, they all have the potential to be contaminated with heavy metals. Mm -hmm. Like foods can also have heavy metals, too but to a lesser degree than actual metals. So the risk is overall lower. So you can never get away 100% from toxicity, right? It's just finding the ones that have the least is is ideal. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to check out that brand because, yeah, I feel like I'm forever changing makeup brands. Like, I don't know. I don't really trust you anymore. <laughs> Who else should I try? Let me that's like such an interesting point you bring up. Why is it that you feel that you don't trust them? Mm. You know, like I was putting on my makeup today and I am quite sure it doesn't say fragrance in it, but I'm going to go look after this episode. But I was just like, why does this smell so nice? Like I've been, you know, into holistic health for a long time, so I'm not really used to, you know, funky lotions or body washes that smell like cookies or something. But I was putting it on my face like, what is this smell? Why does it smell not holistic when it's branded to be a holistic brand? Hmm. Yeah, see, that's that's a really good point you bring up because if something just doesn't seem right, more often than not, it probably isn't. So I yeah. have definitely found that with some products that I've used. I thought, wow, this is has a very pungent fragrance, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say fragrance. So I looked into it. Yeah, exactly. So I looked into it more. And actually, I've discovered that there are what they call CO2 supercritical extracts that are similar to essential oils that are extremely potent extracts from plants. So roses and, you know, vanilla that can actually have like uh, almost like a has a fragrance aspect to it, but without the phthalates. So you have to like really look into it. So I actually emailed the company to find out how was this hand cream so potent with the vanilla. Yeah. And so I I looked into it and thankfully that one turned out to be fine. But if something is standing out to you and you don't feel right about it, definitely look into it. If it's a product you really, really love and you want to use it again, definitely reach out to the company. I, I do that often and... Sometimes you'll get, you know, like a satisfactory response and then other times not. So it's still, again, the responsibility is on us to vet it. Yeah, it is on our shoulders, which is the bummer because most people don't know this stuff, right? That's why they're coming to you. Um, So it's like it's our burden to carry, but like nobody knows what they're looking for. Right, right, right. That's it's really tragic. Just that's just how our country is set up. 
but more and more people are becoming aware, they're becoming educated and informed. So we're definitely seeing a shift in the market towards more holistic, organic, low-tox products coming out, like truly, mm-hmm. like legit, not greenwashed and fake ones, <laughs> but legit ones because people are really demanding them now because pe- yes. more people are learning and they're like, hey, you know, you snuck that fragrance in. That's not okay. I'm going to switch to something else. And so mm-hmm. then they, you know, those companies are like, oh, we're losing money. We got to do something. Exactly. I was just going to say people are voting with their dollars. So when you buy a small holistic brand stuff, that's money that another brand didn't get. That's right. And then the more we invest in the brands that we believe in and that we trust, then they can grow and expand. And then, you know, that's how you start seeing this big shift. Like, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, there wasn't the clean beauty at Sephora. Yeah. Right Now there is yeah. a whole section and at Target and it's amazing. It's amazing to see that. Okay. You're giving me hope again. I've been like, oh <laughs> no, there this is, is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are, there are many, many, many brands out there that are legit, that are trustworthy, that make amazing products. It's just up to us to find them. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but we can do it. They're out there. <laughs> Yes. I'm, yeah, you've got me really excited to go read. I'm like confident with food labels, but yeah, these product labels, whole other thing. Yeah, because the, the chemicals that are used sometimes overlap, sometimes not. They can be totally different. So mm-hmm. I get it. I'm, I, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was another thing I wanted to ask you about because I think a lot of people in the holistic world love essential oils and I'm one of those people, but... I've never been big on consuming them and I've never really been big on diffusing them. So they're like something I'll put on my feet, right? If I'm feeling under the weather or something. And you made an interesting post that there's really a lack of science about them being diffused and kind of the potential hazard even of that. So that was just like a what when I saw it? Yeah, that that was actually uh, pretty controversial because I know a lot of people really love diffusing essential oils, especially in the holistic space. Mm-hmm. The issue is that anything that you put into your air is being inhaled. And when you inhale something, it can very quickly enter your bloodstream. And that's not what you want. Because once something is in your bloodstream, it can go all over your body. And that's how you really get very quick toxic effects. So mm. inhalation hazards and toxicants are the most dangerous. And so that's why you have to be extremely careful with your air quality. So Mm. when people are diffusing 24-7 and they don't open their windows and let's say they're using tap water to diffuse and they're using poor, low-quality, adulterated essential oils, you really have no idea what you're inhaling, right? Whoa. So it's, it's something that I emphasize a lot just because of how easily and readily chemicals can enter your bloodstream through inhalation. And most people don't know that. The, think about the proximity of your nose to your brain. Yeah, Things can travel from your nose into your brain quite easily. And so that's why when you inhale um, and you sniff, like you rub essential oils in your hands and you sniff it, you feel the effect quickly, mm-hmm. right? If you want to relax, maybe get some uh, lavender then you inhale it, right? And it, you feel calm very fast. So that's giving you an idea of how sensitive this route of exposure is. So being really careful about how often you're using essential oils to diffuse, the quality, the type of water that you're using, 
And it's really just, I always recommend to open the windows, open your windows as much as you can, especially if your air quality outside is okay. And you can, you can check this just like Google air quality and the city where you live, and you can find out what the air quality is like and open your windows. Cause that's key. You want to have that dilution factor, right? A fresh air coming in. Because I know that people like to keep their windows closed in the winter because, you know, it's cold outside, you know, depending on where you live. But it does wonders when you open your windows. Mm. So, yeah, it's like about the frequency, the duration and the concentration, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's like if you're doing it all day, every day, that's going to be a huge problem compared to I do it once a month. Right. And I think that's the big thing with essential oils is I think we can get down this like loophole where now we're filling capsules with them and we're yeah ingesting them and we're uh, whatever, we're diffusing them all the time. And I think it can just be overboard just to start with, like if you're really viewing this one thing as the fix for everything. Yeah, that's right. Because it's it's kind of analogous to when you're using drugs and pharmaceuticals to correct a poor lifestyle, but you're just adding more fuel to the fire because your body, you haven't taken away the root cause of what you're trying to fix with essential oils. It's, you know, it's, you're kind of using it as a substitute. Mm -hmm. So you're just, yeah, you're just kind of adding more mud and making things more complicated and muddy. So it's like, not really sure. Like maybe I feel a little bit better, but Imagine how much better you would feel if you figured out what the root of the problem was. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like going back to basics, minimalism. Like I highly, highly recommend going very minimalist with everything, with, you know, the products that you use, just, you know, just minimum, excuse me, (laughs) minimizing (laughs) like the number of products that you use. It can work wonders for you. Yes, truly. Uh, I used to see these videos on like Instagram reels of this just like girls with their all these fancy bottles of body washes and scrubs and it's like this like minute long video of them using all these different products before they shave their legs and I was just like whoa oh that's like (laughs) what what is happening here yeah I used to be I wasn't maybe going that far but I definitely used many many products I love products, but I've really pared it down just to what do I actually need? And if there's Mm -hmm. a new product that I want to try, I kind of got to take one out of my routine. So I'm not adding in like 10, 12 products. Like I want to keep it at like six or less or something. That's just an arbitrary number. But it's kind of like a funny thing that I do with my kids. They have a toy box. And if they want a new toy, they have to take something out because we're not going to get to the point where the toy box is overflowing. So mm-hmm. whatever can fit is what fits. If it doesn't fit, you got to take something out. <laughs> yeah, that's solid. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about so many like big pieces of this puzzle, but in terms of something that's really easy for someone to take from this episode and apply today, where do you think is a simple place for them to start to update You know their their lifestyle or minimize their toxicity? Uh, The number one thing I would say, step one, is to pay attention to your indoor air. So the one thing that you can do right now is open your windows. 
That's like Mm -hmm. one of the biggest impact that you can have on your health is just opening your windows. And then second would be to avoid fragrances because it's Mm -hmm. all contributing to this, you know, like stew, I guess, or soup inside our our homes, especially everyone. um, A lot of people are still working from home. We're in the house more often than not. And I don't think a lot of people open their windows. Like from, from what I gather, some people never open their windows. So that's, that's one thing, like just really start there. Just think about your air quality and that's, you're going to notice a big shift once you start doing that. You're going to have like, you know, um, less brain fog, you know, just from opening the windows, getting fresh air. And then if you especially cut out the fragrances and open your windows, boom, that's going to be a big shift for you. Exactly. Yeah. Clean air plus say adios to the scentsy or the scented candles or whatever, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Solid. I, you're really making me want to go open all the windows. It is really cold here, but, um, I bought an air doctor a few months ago to clean the air. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like an air filtration thing, but I'm seeing that that's good, but the airflow is also really, really important. And I think I'm missing that. Yeah, definitely. Cause the, the air doctor is amazing, but it can only do so much. Mm-hmm. And something as simple and free as opening your windows, even if it's cold outside, I totally get it. I used to live in Ohio and it was snowing and freezing, (laughs) but um, I still open the windows because just that freshness, that crisp air coming in just really refreshes everything. Because, you know, once you keep your windows closed a lot, there can be moisture, humidity, and that's how you start getting mold. True. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge problem. So. Definitely opening the windows is going to be a game changer, even just for a few minutes. Just start there, a few minutes. And then uh, I recommend opening the windows when you leave a room. So if I'm in my office and it's too cold, I'll keep the windows closed while I'm here. And then I'll get up frequently, you know, getting water or whatever. I'll open the windows, even if it's just for five minutes. Like that five minutes of fresh air makes such a big difference. All right. You've sold me. (laughs) Our house is going to be frozen in a bit, but it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and throw an extra sweater, you know, some like cozy socks, (laughs) but your health will thank you for it. Yes. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. (laughs) Normally the last thing I like to ask my guests is what's one thing you would encourage all women to start doing. And one thing you would encourage all women to stop doing. Um, So, I mean, you can use that last response as the thing to do or, or however you want to answer that. So one thing to do to start doing is really pay attention to what you're bringing into your home. Now, it's not just products, but food, furniture, just really pay attention to what you're surrounded by all day, every day. And if you're not feeling well, then that's something you really want to look into. Mm-hmm. And then something to stop doing is to stop using fragrances. <laughs> That's yeah. the number one stop doing. Really, fragrances are like the gift that keeps on giving, but in the worst way. It's like, because the the fragrances will attach to your house dust and then you'll re-inhale them. And they just, once you bring them in, it's almost like they're there. And it's like, you almost can't get them out because Lovely. they just keep recycling. So once you cut off the source, you stop bringing them in and you, you know, sweep, dust, mop, open your windows over time. They will, they'll leave. Um, Cause I actually moved into a home not that long ago that 
the previous owners were using a lot of scented plugins. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I actually uh I scrubbed kind of the floors in the area around like where the plugins were just because it was like I could still smell it. So I wow. knew 100% there were still phthalates in there. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I put on my gloves and, you know, I did my thing. <laughs> but I had I had to get rid of it, you know, cuz I just I couldn't stand the smell. It was just mm-hmm. terrible. So yeah, yeah, that's the one thing to start doing, one thing to stop doing. Hope that helps. No, that does. <laughs> Super like doable as well. So bite size. Um, yeah, it's been just incredible to talk to you, Yvonne. I'm my mind is blown. I feel like I'm like I, I could ask her a thousand more questions. Like I maybe need a part two. I don't know. So um, <laughs> just I'd totally incredible. be up for that. Yeah. So I guess everybody listening, if you want a part two, you better message me and tell me, bring Dr. Yvonne back on. But in the meantime, where can everyone find you and connect with you? I am on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me at Dr. Yvonne Burkhart. And yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I like to do weekly trainings in my IG stories. I just love to give value and content and education. Amazing. And then you have a program, right? That goes deeper into all this. I do. It is called the Safe Ingredient Academy. And it teaches you exactly how to read ingredient labels so you can detox your entire beauty and cleaning routine in 30 days or less. And it is foolproof. I've had 100% success with all my students that have come through. And it's amazing to see. Wow. So cool. That's pretty, pretty impressive. 100% foolproof. It's actual toxicology techniques that I teach to everyday consumers. So it's yeah. it's actually, it's not, you know, it's not totally abstract and all this, you know, scientific jargon. It's really simple and easy to implement. And that's what people need. So amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, thank you again for being here. And for everyone listening, if you loved this episode, please tag both me at Menstruation Queen and Dr. Yvonne at Dr. Yvonne Burkhart uh, on Instagram. And yeah, if y'all want to part two, you better let us know and (laughs) we can continue the conversation. But thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.